That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. You're on the fighting for the gay disco. What? Are there are no slurs here. Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains, and the opposite is America. Because America is now one big gay disco. our most requested guest. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's what they That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. One big gay disco. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe so, you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One big gay disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, welcome to another ENJ Live. It's a beautiful summer afternoon in South Bend, Indiana, and we have just gone through a week that was uh, significant, significant enough to merit uh, extended comment today. Uh, to begin with, we had this incident, uh, one more example of anti-marketing that is now uh, sweeping through the uh, United States of America, where the Dodgers uh, brought on a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to perform during some baseball game or other, uh, and uh, caused an immediate uproar. And at that point, uh, the Dodgers management pulled it back, uh, rescinded the invitation. Uh, and at that point, there was a backlash from the homosexuals. It became a battle between the Catholics and the homosexuals. Uh, Bill Dunahue weighed in, Bishop Barron weighed in. And uh, at this point, the uh, Dodgers flip-flopped again and they brought the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence back again, thanks largely to a lady by, by the name of Lindsay Horvat. Uh, who is a Notre Dame graduate, and uh, when one of my uh, one of our readers in San Francisco heard her name, he he wrote to me and said, "Didn't you did you, do you know this lady?" Uh, and it turns out I do know this lady, 
when she was at Notre Dame, she was the sponsor or the moving force behind the performance, the first performance of the vagina monologues at Notre Dame University. Uh, and so I did actually, I interviewed her and it turns out that she, uh, is as more Catholic than the Pope. According to the interview, she's not only pro-life, she's against contraception. Uh, and so why are you doing this then? And I assumed at that point that she was just naive. Uh, it could be that she was naive. This happened 20 years ago. Uh, but now she's doing what Notre Dame does best, which is basically giving the aura of respectability to something that is totally heinous and repugnant. That's what Notre Dame does. It gives you the sense that you can be a great Catholic by supporting uh, one, the latest form of moral degeneracy. Their issue on uh, this, the issue we did uh, in the most recent issue of Culture Wars about their stand on transgenderism is a good example. But other things happened this week. And the main thing that happened from my perspective was the fact that Patrick Coffin finally launched his Hope is Fuel online conference, launched it on Wednesday after a huge assault, uh, an attempt to basically intimidate him. Um, that attack failed. And that's significant. I think that there was a, 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 a turn, the corner was turned here. Okay, what should have happened, what was supposed to happen is basically that uh, uh, Patrick gets this uh, lynch mob, this hears about this lynch mob on the internet and immediately throws me under the bus, cancels me because anyone who associates with me is impure. Uh, he didn't do that. He stood by me, he stood by his principles and the conference got launched, but there was a, a, a ferocious assault at the end. And the man, it's what we learned uh, as it proceeded was that uh, who was behind it? Uh, Dawn Goldstein was behind it. And also a man by the name of Mark Shea. Mark Shea uh, was pretty much uh, forgotten, but uh, we go way back. Okay, I remember a time when Mark Shea wanted to become the next G.K. Chesterton. At that point in his career, Shea hadn't gotten the memo from Dawn Goldstein explaining that Chesterton was an anti-Semite. And so he continued to adopt the persona of the jovial, witty pundit at outlights like the National Catholic Register. Unlike Chesterton, however, Shea could never disguise the anger and hatred in his writings when he came across someone he didn't like. Robertson Genis was a good example. I don't know why Shea took a dislike to Syngenis, but once that happened, Shea felt that he was no longer bound either by common decency or the moral law in dealing with him. That came out when Shea reported that Syngenis, uh, uh, who organized the conference in South Bend, uh, Syngenis, according to Shea, was so drunk at the geocentrism conference that he sponsored in South Bend that he had to be helped from the stage. This was a vicious lie. I was there. I know what happened. That did not happen. But Shea refused to apologize for promoting this slander and refused to issue a retraction. He then said that I gave a talk at the same conference on the cranial capacity of the Negro, which was another slanderous lie. 
Anyone familiar with my work knows that I do not play the race card. When I confronted Shea, he refused to retract his lie and refused to run my response to his slanders because doing so would be giving a platform to someone he deemed an anti-Semite. As soon as that word appears, Christian charity, respect for the good name of another, and common decency disappear. If Shea takes a dislike to you, you lose whatever right you had to your good name or to protest against his lies. Shea continues to lie about me. He continues to put words in my mouth as his way of assassinating my character. But now his main focus is guilt by association. As he lost his audience, Shea compensated by becoming more mean-spirited, causing him to lose even more of his audience. Eventually, Shea's mendacity and hatred caught up with him, and he lost his, uh, his audience, and everyone pretty much for, forgot about him until he resurrected himself, not as Chesterton Ray de Vivas, but as Ilya Ehrenberg. For those of you who don't know, Ehrenberg was the Jewish propagandist who encouraged the Soviet armies to commit atrocities against the German people. Shea, at this point, reinvented himself as a commissar whose main job was now imposing Jewish taboos on the Catholic faithful. Seeing a moment of opportunity, he attacked Patrick Coffin by trying to get people to dissociate themselves from his Hope is Fuel conference. The message was clear. Jones is unclean. Anyone who associates with Jones will become unclean by association. And Mark Shea will then go out of his way to denounce you as a bad person and ruin your ability to earn a livelihood by adopting the tactics of the Anti-Defamation League. Unlike Jonathan Greenblatt, Shea will do this in the name of Catholicism, even though this behavior is the antithesis of Catholic behavior, as Jesus pointed out when he rebuked the Pharisees when they criticized him for dining with tax collectors and prostitutes. The terms allow this outrageously unchristian behavior are anti-Semitism and Holocaust. By deploying these terms, Shea acquires Jewish privilege, which still has currency in some Catholic circles. And this allows him to become the commissar who will denounce you if you don't accept his imposition of Jewish values on the Catholic faithful. Janet Smith had to learn this the hard way. When Jennifer Roback Morse played the anti-Semitism card against Coffin, Smith felt that she had the freedom of the gospel on her side and said she was not dropping out of the Hope is Fuel conference. Then Mark Shea laid into her and she folded like a cheap suit. And then Mark Shea denounced her because she didn't fold fast enough. This is the fate of people who cross Mark Shea. There is a lesson to be learned here. If you abandon the freedom of the gospel and return to the vomit of Jewish taboo, Mark Shea and Dawn Goldstein will rule you with an iron rod. Like their Jewish masters, they will not forgive and they will not forget, as Janet Smith found out. If you are planning to hold a conference, you will have to submit the names of all participants to Commissar Shea and Goldstein in advance, and they will tell you who are, you are allowed to invite and who you are not allowed to invite. If they succeed in carrying out the attack, they launched on Patrick Coffin, commissars like Shea and Goldstein 
will determine who is a Catholic in good standing based on the latest tweet from the Anti-Defamation League. This is not a new issue in the church. St. Paul denounced the Judaizers of his day when they tried to make Jewish taboos the norm for the church then. Back then, the Judaizers insisted that the Greek converts had to adopt circumcision and Jewish dietary laws in order to be considered Catholics in good standing. Today, the neo-Judaizers, the neo-conversos, and the ADL agents in the Catholic Church use the same Jewish privilege to claim that Catholics must offer up incense to the idols known as anti-Semitism and Holocaust. The Holocaust has become the Jewish religion. Shea and Goldstein are now trying to impose that religion on the Catholic faithful. Catholics who invoke that term as normative for other Catholics are promoting idolatry. Lest you think I'm exaggerating, let me give the closing word to Claude Lanzmann, director of Shoah, a 1978 film, which is one of the crucial components of my forthcoming book on the Holocaust narrative. This is what he had to say. Keep this in mind when people use the Holocaust to beat you over the head as a faithful Catholic. If Auschwitz is something other than a horror of history, if it goes beyond the banality of evil, then Christianity totters on its foundations. Christ is the Son of God who went to the end of the humanly endurable where he endured the cruelest suffering. If Auschwitz is true, then there is a human suffering which simply cannot be compared with that of Christ. In this case, Christ is false and salvation will not come from him. If the pain of Auschwitz is much more extreme than that of the apocalypse, much more horrifying than that described by John in the apocalypse, then the book of the apocalypse is false and the gospels are false too. Auschwitz is the refutation of Christ, close quote. Keep that in mind the next time you get an email from Mark Shea or Dawn Goldstein. So the fallout continued. Uh, for the first time, it was felt necessary to interview me in an article which appeared in our Sunday Visitor. Got the interview the interview was published in the article, and then the question started. Bob Sungenis writes to me, Goldstein has you down as saying, if I were speaking to someone who was Jewish, I would say, you killed Christ, Jones said. This is reported in the May 18th article by Gina Christian for OSV. She then quotes from Nostratate, that not all Jews are responsible for the death of Christ, only the Jews of the first century. Is she accurate about what you said? My response is no, that is not accurate. She was referring to a podcast in which I talked about the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles and the mission of the church to the Jews. Peter began by telling the Jews in Jerusalem that they had killed Christ. The Jews were then cut to the heart, and they said in response, what must we do to be saved? Peter then said, you must be baptized. I then said that if we or the Pope or anyone else approaches the Jews, that is the best way to deal with the issue. 
As to the other question, either Goldstein nor Smith can distinguish between the term the Jews and all Jews. When we say the Jews killed Christ, we do not mean that all Jews were responsible for his death. The Blessed Mother did not cry out, crucify him at the foot of the cross. This is what Nostra Tate meant when it said that not all Jews called for Christ's death. Not all Jews did, but the Jews, meaning the Jewish people, both leaders and followers as a political body called for his death. Does this resolve the issue? And Bob Sungenis wrote back and said, yes, that it did. More fallout. Uh, one of the latest uh, people to drop out was a Dr. Gavin Ashenden, who is the associate editor for the Catholic Herald in England. He was uh, vacillating back and forth. And one of uh, my friends in England, a uh, uh, supporter, a man I've known for years, wrote him an email. Dear Dr. Ashenden, for what it's worth, I am a Jew now happily converted to Catholicism. And I was very sorry to read that you have dropped out of Patrick Coffin's forthcoming internet conference. Am I right in assuming that it's because of the inclusion of E. Michael Jones? If so, please reconsider. What Dr. Jones has to say is certainly hard to hear, but it is the truth. He wrote back in which he said, uh, sorry, but I did withdraw. And the reason was John Zemirak's article to which my friend wrote back, thank you for your speediest and courteous reply. The reason I was so sorry about your withdrawing from the event was because you speak so courageously against cancel culture and guilt by association. But now you make an exception of Dr. Jones because he criticizes Jewish behavior and to some sense, Jewish identity. For, the, for me, this adds all the more to the comment. If you want to know who rules you, look at, you, uh, look at who you are not allowed to criticize. I think you have the opportunity here to make a stand for the truth and freedom within our church, and I still hope you will reconsider. And to that email, there was no answer. What's this man going to say? Uh, tell a Jew who converted to Catholicism uh, to some extent because of my writing that I'm an anti-Semite? Is that going to fly? Is that going to fly? This is the backstory that needs to be told here about what is going on. At the same time, I, I'm a big now believer now in synchronicity. All of these things happen at once. And so just as I'm being uh, vilified uh, by Mark Shea as an unrepentant anti-Semite, I get a letter from another Jew. Uh, this is not a convert. This, there's a long story we could talk about about why some people convert and other people don't, but this is from Yehuda Littman, uh, Orthodox Jew from Brooklyn, who has already written letters to the editor in Culture Wars magazine, uh, who said he was a better Jew because he subscribes to Culture Wars magazine. He says, I would like to comment, if I may, on the latest issue, uh, May 2023, Biden's Minion and the Holocaust narrative, where you mentioned correctly and again courageously how Mayorkas' main qualification for the job is being Jewish. 
By the way, he also calls himself the first Hispanic Homeland Security, which is absurd, uh, secretary, which is absurd. His father is from Turkey and his mother is from Romania. I guess if Adolf Eichmann's children were to marry Mengele's children and their children were to move to the U.S., they too would be able to call themselves Hispanic. But I guess only the chosen ones are allowed to lie. Okay. He then goes on to talk about other instances of this, the whole instance of the Ukraine. And then he talks about uh, me referring to the, um, how I get in trouble. Uh, in your previous articles, you write, how can I be called an anti-Semite by saying that Jews are behind gay, gay marriage when Amy Dean from Tikkun Magazine would write some the same thing and President Biden would also say the same? Well, I would also add the New York Times to the list. Do you by any chance get the New York Times? Reason I ask is because the New York Times often have obituaries for these Jewish revolutionaries. One day, perhaps Fidelity Press would be able to write a whole encyclopedia from A to Z of all the Jewish revolutionaries whose obituaries appeared in the Times. Just as a side note here, uh, during the same week, the World Jewish Congress released a video called Hashtag Jewish and Proud, in which they took uh, the, uh, the young lady there, said that Jews were responsible for gay marriage, for abortion, for all uh, homosexuality, and so on and so forth, in a way that substantiated everything I said in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Led me to wonder, were there anti-Semites behind this art, uh, video by the uh, World Jewish Congress? Anyway, one of those Jewish revolutionaries is a lesbian activist by the name of Ilana Dykwoman. That is not a typo. This is exactly how she spells it and said that her real name was Elena Nachman. And she said that she gave an interview to the Times of Israel in 2017, where she said if she were have to change her name all over again, she would have chosen the name Dykstein or Dykberg to honor her Jewish heritage. When I read that, I burst out laughing, thinking Dr. Jones would love that one. Imagine if you would call that chubby lesbian kike Dykstein or Dykberg. They would slander you as an anti-Semite. But this Dykstein isn't? In reality, these revolutionary Jews, whether it's Zelensky's, Foxman, Kaplan's, are the real anti-Semites. Finally, you also mentioned again courageously on page 43, no Jew should be allowed to serve in any public office. This may sound harsh, but it's in keeping with the Catholic principle, Sicu Udeus Non, close quote. My response is no, that is not harsh. And not only is it in keeping with Catholic principle, but it is also keeping in keeping with authentic Orthodox Jewish principle of Jews, in ex which says that Jews in exile should be humble, loyal citizens in their host countries. You know, when Napoleon attacked Russia, the Baal Hatanya, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, uh, before they, back then, before they were corrupted by Zionism, instructed that the Jews should pray for the victory of Tsar, Tsar Nicholas, even though he was a little tough on them, and that the Rebbe knew that Napoleon was going to emancipate the Jews. The reason why the Rebbe uh, instructed the Jews to pray for the victory of the Tsar was because he foresaw what would happen if the Jews were emancipated. That is, they would become 
revolutionaries. That's Yehuda Littman. That's that's two of the Jews who responded to what I've been doing. Uh, one has converted to Catholicism. One is still an Orthodox Jew. Neither one of them considers what I said anti-Semitic. But this all gets lost in the fog of battle. What I'm trying to say here now is that uh, we had a significant victory this week. Patrick Coffin did not throw me under the bus. There are a number of people who did not capitulate to the terrorism of Mark Shea and Dawn Goldstein. The caravan moves on, the conference continues, and as the caravan moves on, the dogs bark, but the caravan keeps moving. Anyway, that's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. All right, uh, Mike Bajak is here once again. Um, <clears throat> Real quick rundown of the rules for people who are new here. Uh, I'm Dr. Jones' assistant for you guys who don't know. Uh, we got call-ins. This is our call-in section. Uh, call-ins are made via our Telegram channel, and the link is in the description. Uh, in Telegram, I will call on those who raise their hand. And then later in the stream, we'll read off the questions via text uh, from Cozy. Uh, there are no paid super chats. Try to, try to uh, keep questions on subject. Try to keep the one question... Be respectful of time and do not forget to unmute yourself when you're in cozy or not cozy uh, telegram okay moving to telegram here uh let's see who do we got victor reins go ahead uh, good Hello. evening it's a Vic victor reese kind of a playoff uh victories but um, and then the Reese, uh, the Celtic heritage. But nonetheless, uh, I wanted to speak about a few things. But listening to your rules, I'm going to try to keep it as succinct as possible. Um, I believe that the ADL uh, and the media are two of the they they are like the gatekeepers for. The, a stranglehold on the uh, choke points of society. And a, a way to bring, shine light on that is to say, perhaps, you know, why would the media have the moral authority over anyone else? Like what gives them that right? Um, and certainly with the ADL bringing up uh, the Talmud and what that discusses in regards and then how can you say that and then also be a moral authority? Um, and I, I, I really believe it comes down to, to faith as well and, and, and to have the, uh, the, the supernatural virtue of courage and fortitude or fortitude and, and just to, to trust to do what's right. So if you feel like you need to speak out and you're afraid that there would be a consequence, I mean, I'm, but also be prudent about it. But, you know, how much more are we going to, you know, is to be, I, you know, I, I hate to just be uh, a shield that in that I'd rather be like uh, that book that talked about kind of Trump's personality being anti-fragile. So the more that we are attacked, the stronger we become. I mean, there, right. there is some truth right. to that. 
Right. The more the more you resist, the stronger you become. And I think what we saw was resistance here. The line held. Patrick did not throw me under the bus. And so what you saw now was uh, the bullies exposed themselves, uh, had to appear from behind the scenes. This is despicable behavior. This is people stabbing you in the back. This is people. The worst part of this whole thing is that you have Catholics acting as the commissars doing the bidding of the ADL and giving other Catholics the impression that if they don't go along with this Jewish idolatry, if they don't adopt Jewish taboos, they're bad Catholics. We cannot tolerate that. That is intolerable. And I feel sorry for the people who caved in. I feel really sorry for Janet Smith because Mark Shea, as soon as she did what Mark Shea did, Mark treated her with contempt. These people are not content until they can rule you with an iron rod, until they take over the entire church, and they get determined, uh, according to their Jewish masters at the ADL, who is a Catholic in good standing and who is not. So I think it was a significant week in that regard. Moving to the next question here. Let's go with, uh, let's see, Daniel Stone. Go ahead. Good afternoon, Dr. Jones. Good afternoon, Mike. Hope you're well. Yes. Good. I have a quick question for you. Um, in terms of uh, the now that DeSantis has decided to uh, go up against uh, Donald Trump, you know, because he thinks he can do something better, um, it seems to be kind of uh, which Jew do we pick to be president of the United States now? Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Trump. Uh, had his cabinet full of them, and uh, Ron DeSantis has already signed legislation which does not uh, oversee Israeli law, but Americans in his own state of Florida. Um, do you have any insight in terms of, for those of us who are kind of looking for the best option for Christians, uh, in terms of it, what seems to be basically just a, uh, a Jewish playing field when it comes to right. so-called conservative politics? Right. That's exactly the problem. Uh, I, in my humble opinion, DeSantis blew up his own campaign when he flew to uh, Israel to sign a bill, a hate speech bill that is going to be declared unconstitutional for the state of Florida. What's the, why was that bill signed in Israel and not in Tallahassee? It just showed who Ron yeah. Santos is beholden to. And as soon as we understood that, well, then that's the end. I'm not going to vote for you, Ron. Now, the, now the, the, you could say the same thing of Donald Trump, because that's exactly the story of the Trump admi uh, administration. So avid to do the bidding of the Jews, uh, murdered Soleimani, never should have done that. Freed Jonathan Pollard, never should have done that. And then when he turns after Jonathan Sheldon Adelson flies Pollard to Israel in his own jet, and then Benjamin Netanyahu meets the biggest traitor in American history uh, on the tarmac. Never should have done that. The only thing, so I, the only thing I can see, the only ray of hope I can see here is that Donald Trump will wake up to the fact that uh, you can't trust the Jews. You do their bidding. He was the most Jewish president in American history, and they kicked him in the teeth and threw him under the bus in a New York minute, as we would say here in Indiana. I hope that Donald Trump learned his lesson. That's the big question. Did he learn his lesson? Did he learn that his biggest mistake after getting elected was pursue a policy of Israel first 
rather than America first, which is the reason everybody everybody voted for him? That's a question that I can't answer, but I'm hopeful that he has learned uh, in the expensive school of experience. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I'll, I'll just finish it. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Uh, but I, I, I do hope, uh, I mean, I, I just turned 35 this year, and I think the, the, the age to run is 35, if I remember correctly. But uh, some people would call me a, a little too far right uh, uh, in the political spectrum to be considered acceptable. And I'm like, well, based on what I'm hearing from people, I live in the communist state of California. Uh, and uh, my coworkers now are all talking about all of the homosexual agenda stuff that Target has been pushing out some of them have children and i said well look who's pushing us check out their early life history that's all i say to them and they come back and they're like why are these people all jewish and i'm like well now you tell them tell them to watch tell them to watch the world jewish congress video <laughs> they're bragging about okay. it <laughs> that's the this was a complete objective unexpected substantiation of everything i said in the jewish revolutionary spirit so i would like to thank the world jewish congress for producing that video thank you yeah thank you you're welcome all right next we have alex go ahead hey good afternoon dr jones Good afternoon. Um, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I have a question about Gordon Parks. I've heard it said that he was basically controlled by um, Jewish handlers. Can you expound expound on that? Yeah, Jewish uh, Gordon Parks was a uh, photographer, famous photographer for the Life magazine. Life magazine was part of the uh, uh, Time Life combine. Was we used to say uh, Time was for. Uh, people who can't think and life was for people who can't read. So it was a photo, photo journalism. And he was one of the main photographers there. So he would do, do uh, the bidding. It was, uh, we know the time life was intimately associated with uh, the CIA at this point. C.D. Jackson was on the board of both the CIA, was an employee of the CIA and also a crucial employee at time life. So there was an intimate connection there. And it became obvious that uh, this was the propaganda ministry. So they want to promote something or they want to find something out. They put it in Life magazine and he would be the guy who took the pictures. So he would go, for example, to the Nation of Islam and he was real black. And so the people of the Nation of Islam say, well, if he's real black, he must be one of us. Well, uh, this is what happens when you judge by the color of his skin. He was there basically to photograph all of the leaders, so get all of them together so we know who they are. <laughs> this was really dumb. And then I'd like to go back and take a picture of their headquarters. He did the same thing with Eldridge Cleaver. He was the black photographer who would betray these black people for, for, the, for the CIA. So when he did, went to Algeria, took the picture of Eldridge Cleaver, um, basically said, well, no, I need uh, to take a picture of your apartment too. And stupid Eldridge Cleaver went along with this so that the CIA could use the plan to uh, assassinate him. So anyway, he was a crucial figure. Uh, okay, and uh, at a certain point, he got the call to go to Hollywood. Now, this was a crucial moment because it was right after 1969, which is basically when COINTELPRO uh, assassinated uh, uh, the guy in what was his name in uh, in with the Black Panthers in Chicago. There's a movie out uh, about that, and you can find out the guy's name is uh, slipping my mind. Bobby something or other. Anyway. Uh, 
we have uh, that was the moment of the black revolutionary. You know, these black dudes, big Afro, black leather jackets, and they're carrying guns like Huey Newton, that famous picture of him. And when the when the uh, FBI went in, they murdered them all. They just murdered them. And this spread terror throughout the black population in Chicago. I, I know people who were there, know a woman who was involved with them. And she said, yes, it was terror. Everyone was scared. At that point, Gordon Parks comes in and he goes, we need a new model for the Negro. Okay, we're tired with this black revolutionary stuff. Forget about Eldridge Cleaver. Forget about Huey Newton. And the new model is Shaft. And then the new model after that is uh, Superfly. Uh, Gordon Parks was involved in both of those films as the CIA attempt to basically redirect all that black anger from uh, well, you know, soup kitchens, that's what, uh, that's what uh, they were doing in uh, uh, Hampton. Fred Hampton was doing this in uh, Chicago. And now we're going to flip it to, well, guess what? Sexual liberation. It's another example of sexual liberation as political control. Now, now, so now the new role model for the black guy is the pimp. And he's got a big pimp mobile, Cadillac Eldorado. And this is the result is of what Gordon Parks did. Okay. It's now become a joke. Uh, it's called black exploitation films. And there's a film, a satire on this thing called I'm going to get you sucker, which is kind of funny uh, in its way because it satirizes this type of thing. But the man who was responsible was Gordon Parks. So I said to, you know, got in contact with his third wife. Was he working for the CIA? No, that's crazy. What are you, a conspiracy nut? And then she says, but they would always talk to him whenever he came back from a photo shoot. So don't let's not play games here. This is what was going on. Anyway, I hope I hope that answers your question. Have a good evening. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Pablo. Uh, go ahead. Good evening, Mike and, and Dr. Jones from Spain. It's off of topic, but I have three questions about Malachi Martin. Yes. The first one is Malachi Martin was consecrated bishop by Pius XII. If so, do you know if Malachi Martin consecrated any bishops? And um, third, do you believe for, for, that let Malachi me, Martin... Let me, let me, let me answer oh. that question. Uh, there, is, okay, okay, there, okay. there is no evidence whatsoever that Malachi Martin was ever uh, consecrated a bishop. I talked to him uh, in person before he died. He said that he uh, asked for a dispensation from uh, the Jesuits. He didn't want to be a Jesuit anymore, but he, made, he remained a priest uh, until he died. This is what he told me. No evidence whatsoever that he was ever consecrated a bishop. Okay, next sentence. Uh, next question. But I, I read that, uh, may, may, that perhaps... He was consecrated in secret by Pius XII because uh, he he was one of the uh, the priests or the bishops who should uh, uh, ordain priests in the in in Russia or in the in the catacombs of, of Europe of that that time. Okay, the third one is: uh, Do you believe that Malachi Martin was converted and abjured of his mistakes when he left Rome? Or no, I got. Uh, I, he was I, always. He was always an element of uh, disruptive element. Or I, I. First of all, there is no evidence that he converted 
Uh, he repented for what he did. The first thing I asked him, this was kind of stupid on my part, but I sometimes I do stupid things. I said, did you run off with Bob Kaiser's wife? Let's get to the cut to the chase here. Bob Kaiser was the Time Magazine correspondent uh, for the Vatican Council, was living in Rome. Malachi Martin would come around and go to his fa- the, um, uh, Kaiser's famous cocktail parties, paid for by the expense account, Time Magazine expense account, sky's the limit, best booze in town. And everybody showed up there who was anybody. Uh, and that's where he met Ma- uh, Bob Kaiser's wife. And they... Uh, uh, it seems to me, had an affair. You can read Bob Kaiser's side of the story. It's called clerical error. Bob Kaiser was a seminarian in the Jesuits, and then he became a journalist. And he tells the story from his point of view, his side of the story about Bob uh, Malachi running off with his wife or not running off with his wife or committing adultery or not committing adultery. The whole story is there. So Malachi simply evaded the question. Well, maybe he didn't run off with his wife, but that was a kind of stupid question and I should have pressed it, but I didn't uh, because I wasn't prepared because at that point, Malachi Martin called me up out of the blue to talk to me about Medjugorje. That was what was on his hmm. mind. He thought it was a fraud. Uh, so he converted to something at the end of his life. He became a kind of conservative uh, uh, icon uh, but I, I think uh, I'm, I'm maybe say that said the vagantist is possible. I don't look. Uh, I don't know. Okay, he, okay. he was. It, it was hard to tell what was going on with Malachi Martin oh. because he was always. Mm-hmm. He must have kissed the Blarney Stone a couple of times because he was always flattering you. I mean, who am I? I'm a nobody. You know what I mean? But he's telling me what a good writer I am and so on and so forth. And he gets you on his side and then you're suddenly disarmed and then you don't ask uh, the right questions. So I couldn't, it was only when I wrote the Jewish revolutionary spirit that I was go be able to go back and put all the pieces together and come up with a coherent picture, which is basically that he had been paid by the American Jewish committee and B'nai B'rith to subvert the Second Vatican Council's uh, teaching mm-hmm. on the Jews, and that he failed. That's what I know. Okay. Thank you. Good evening. You're welcome. All right. Uh, let's see. No one is raising their Ah, here we are. Uh, Andrew Horball. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? I can. I can. Yeah, so... Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry you had to go through all that slander and ongoing defamation, but what are your thoughts on the White House? The White House has said the Biden-Harris administration is taking action to counter anti-Semitism with some sort of strategic plan on our college campuses. You know, and I, I, I replied to him. I said, if there's truly an anti-Semitism problem, it's because anti-Christism existed long before it. And so my question is, how, how do you think this White House is going to affect this ongoing slander as now, as now that I think even the Department of Home, Homeland Security is encouraging church subversion, if I'm reading it correctly. I don't know if you came across that as well. Torba had posted something on that, some screenshots about Department of Homeland Security is uh, giving money to colleges to basically fight against this so-called hate and anti-Semitism. Right, right. Uh, I, I, look, uh, there's no question where their sympathies lie. I've already talked about uh, Merrick Garland. Josh Hawley grilled Merrick Garland because 
the Justice Department is going after conservative Catholics who are anti-abortion. They're going against pro-lifers. We know that. I don't see it going anywhere, to be perfectly honest. Where are they going to go? You put Debbie Lipstadt is in charge of this whole anti-Semitism operation in the Biden administration. What exactly are they going to do? Sure, they can exert pressure on college campuses. Uh, uh, but so what? They already exert pressure. You got first of all, most people have no business being on a college campus because it's all just social engineering. What is the effect? What effect are they going to have? I don't see that the tide is turning. There are just too many people, yeah. too many people out there who are complaining about this. These bullies who come into your life and can destroy you, and the only reason they can destroy you is because of two magic words called anti-Semite and Holocaust. And as soon as those words get yeah. raised, you have no defense. What happened to me at the hands of Mark Shea is a classic example of what I'm talking about. You cannot defend yourself against this. And so what you have to do is stand up to the bullies, say, no, we are not going to be ruled by these people. And then the ball is back in their court. What are they going to do now? What are they going to do that? Uh, we still have the First well, Amendment. I, I'm saying it's going to die when it reaches the First Amendment, it's not going to. It's not going to succeed. They're already losing. The fact that they are getting so extreme now that they got to pressure everybody. Everybody, we're pulling out all the stops. We got to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to do a video. We got to get Steven Spielberg to do a video. Well, you know what? It's not working. We got to put ads on no. local TV in South Bend, Indiana. It's not working because it's not the truth. And in the end, the only thing that prevails over the long run is the truth. And I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. Because I'm, if without any belief in some type of transcendental values like the true and the good and the beautiful, and the fact that Jesus Christ redeemed us from our sins, I would be crazy to take this on. I, I, this is the most, these are the most yes, powerful yes. people on earth. And who am I? Who am I? What do I have on my side? One thing, the truth. And that's enough. Well, hey, I, res I respect that. Sir. And I got, I wonder what the Christian Zionists are going to do now. Uh, you know, they, they have this false notion that if you bless Antichrist Israel, you're going to be blessed, taking that completely. Uh, in the uh, twilight zone, but I wonder if the Christian Zion Zionists are now going to vote vote for Biden since he's making this big anti-Semitism campaign now. Well, they're they're competing for the Jewish vote, and the Jewish vote is the Christian Zionist vote, along with the uh, the Catholic abortion uh, women who've had abortions. This is all part of the Jewish vote, and it's all part of been figured into the the Democratic Party. Not so much Christian Zionism, but the other part has. So that's what they're, they're going after. Biden is toxic. He's going down. This has been the worst administration in American history. And it's, he's bringing about the end of the American empire. So the fact that he's associating himself with this is like the drowning man grabbing another drowning man. And they both go down. That's what's going on here. Well, thank you, sir. I have much respect for you. Keep up the good fight. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andrew, for those questions there. Uh, let's see. We'll do a couple more here. Uh, news from Godfreyus. Go ahead. Hello, Mike. Yes. 
This is Father Jeff Langan. Hey! <laughs> Good to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be heard. Yeah, this is like the one chance I get to listen, but I just, I just want to add a few points. One is that I was talking uh, with some Harvard professors, some Harvard law professors about Nostra Aetate, and both of them, they're both converts, but they both said, look, it's a principle of law going back to the ancient world of representative authority. That when you use a term like the Jews, it's understood that there's a, there's a representation of a people. Right. And uh, it's, just, it's, it's just another, it's just an, a legal, the legal point is just another point that's on your side, right? That's on your side here. Yeah. That anybody who understands representation understands the distinction between the group and those who represent the group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's just, look, <clears throat> wait a minute. Let's just take a step back here. Didn't the World Jewish Congress say that Jews are behind, didn't they use the term, the Jews? The Jews support yeah. uh, gay marriage. The Jews support abortion. Right. That's their video. So it's okay to use it when you think you're using it for something that's going to make the Jews look good. But as soon as someone else tries to use it to hold Jews accountable for what they do, well, that, hey, it's not a category anymore. It disappears. Right. This is ridiculous. Yeah. 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 The next point is just that uh, it's, a, it's a little um, – that – a sign that they're a sign that the Catholic commissars are are losing is that now they're giving lectures to young people on Twitter. They're giving lectures and they're saying, "Young people, don't listen to this man. It's inappropriate to listen to this man." It's it. the whole point is that as soon as someone starts this kind of finger wagging towards young people, that's a sign. Well, first of all, the young people I don't think will listen, but it's also a sign that they've lost because the only thing they can do at this point is wag their fingers. That's right. That's right. I think uh, I think I just saw a, a, a something uh, posting by Robbie George in this regard, who's right, right, right. The, the same. The same thing happened with uh, with John Zmirak. Uh, uh, he wrote a, a book on conservatism. Well, conservatism's like he's a he's a he's a guard at the empty <laughs> concentration camp known as conservatism. And now beyond right. that, we also know. Well, what was the point of conservatism? What about Richard John Newhouse? What about William F. Buckley? It was to basically impose Jewish categories on Catholics. That's what Buckley did. Right. That Joe Sobern woke up to that one day and then that that ended his career. But I mean, it's, you know, what, what can I say? Logos is rising. Yeah. It's not working anymore. Good. Yeah, I just wanted to bring those two points up to add them to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for bringing them up. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Father. Thanks, million. All right. Uh, I got 10 minutes left here. Uh, so we're going to jump to cozy questions. So you guys start to ask your questions. I'm going to scroll through, try to find some and get you guys dealt with on cozy. Where are we? Here we are. Okay. All right. From uh, Dingo BR, um, Dr. Jones, uh, if Donald Trump uh, would be elected, do you think that he can fix all the mess of Biden's administration? Who? Be if, if Donald Trump was reelected, can he fix all of Biden's uh, mess that he made in his administration? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, the big question is the question I asked earlier. Has Donald Trump uh, learned from his mistakes? Has Donald Trump learned his lesson uh, about uh, switching from America first to Israel first? The second point I'd like to make is that the whole point of this uh, this 
failure in his first administration was that he couldn't get the government to cooperate. He would tell people to do things and they wouldn't do it. And then it turns out some general is conspiring with the Chinese telling him, well, if Trump gives the order about the atomic bomb, we're not going to follow it. That's known as treason. But what we saw here is that the, the Justice Department was completely taken over by the Democrats. Now we know that they that, that they made this this these false accusations about Russiagate. Uh, now we know that they suppressed. We know that um, uh, Mike, uh, whatever his name is, the guy in uh, in the CIA orchestrated uh, a letter writing campaign of old CIA agents to say that there was nothing behind the Biden line. The problem was it's a huge problem. And you've got a group of people who are in charge uh, who don't want to uh, relinquish their power. It's not just one person. It's not just one administration. It's, it's bigger than that. But the other side of the coin is that uh, he probably has some military people on his side, for example, because uh, not only of the debacle of uh, Afghanistan, but now the ongoing debacle of the Ukraine. There's going to be a, a course correction. It's got to happen. And if maybe Trump, uh, if he were, were able to do it the second time around, could find better people. Maybe Colonel McGregor would go back and work for him. He certainly is aware of what's going on. He will say it uh, repeatedly on his podcast, but he uses the word neoconservative, uh, which is pulling the punch here. Uh, it's a euphemism that does not get to the heart of the problem. Maybe they talk in private. They don't use euphemisms. But at a certain point, there's going to have to be a consciousness of what I said and what Yehuda Littman uh, uh, underscored when he agreed with me. These are people who can, uh, when you're talking about Biden's minion, when you're talking about Merrick Garland, when you're talking about uh, Anthony Blinken, the main man responsible for the Ukraine debacle, all of these people, they cannot represent the people of the United States. They don't like them. They feel constant, a constitutional aversion to these people. And we are going to have to draw the consequences here, no matter how bad they sound when uh, Mark Shea uh, parrots them, you know, parodies them. There are serious consequences that we have to draw here. And my hope is that Donald Trump has learned his lesson. Another question from Cozy. Um, do you think there is a good reason to study the Talmud as a Catholic to understand the Jew formamentis and how? No, no. I, I, first of all, are you talking about, you're going to have to learn Hebrew. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't see if you're asking me, are you going to go to graduate school and do this? The answer is no, it's not worth it. it, uh, it, it the answer is no, no. There, there are plenty of other things that need to be done in this world. And I don't think that's one of them. Uh, uh, Cozy uh, from Natty Noob. Uh, question. <clears throat> Is the Jewish problem uh, the bottleneck to fix all other problems in society? Well, it's certainly central. Uh, I mean, because if you go back to that World Jewish Congress video, I'm so glad they made that video. I am so glad they made that video. What you see there is the term tikkun olam, which they bring up, uh, basically means that they have a right, the Jews have a right to destroy your culture and consider themselves virtuous by doing it. 
So if you, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to say, well, I'm upset about abortion, I'm upset about transgenderism, I'm upset about homosexuality, I'm upset about pornography. Well, look into what these groups have in common. Don't take my word. Ask the Jewish, ask the World Jewish Congress. They are bragging about this thing. So it's a serious problem. But the most serious problem is that it's practically a death sentence to say it. That's why all of these people at this, uh, God bless them, the people who folded like cheap suits as soon as a bully like Mark Shea arrives on the scene, they fold because of this taboo around these terms, anti-Semite and, and Holocaust. This is not the freedom of the gospel. We should not be worrying about these taboos. We left them behind a long time ago when our ancestors in the faith uh, sided with the Hellenizers and told the Judaizers they're not going to run the church. Now we're going back to, the, to, to that. So, no, that's a bad idea. From St. Stephen 1, uh, do you think Catholics should boycott the baseball league or just the Dodgers? Well, start with the Dodgers. I think there definitely no Catholic could show should go to a Dodgers game. Let's let's put our money where our mouth is. Okay? Let's see what happens here. I mean, look what happened with the Bud Light campaign. That was pretty effective, wasn't it? And that wasn't as outrageous as this, you know? Uh, no, no Catholic should go to a Dodgers game ever again, ever. And then try to uh, sell, sell the tickets to the homosexuals. If that's what you want, then have the homosexuals uh, pay it, pay for the tickets. But Catholics should not go to a Dodgers game. This is precisely how the Catholic Church saved America from obscenity in the 1930s. When Cardinal Doherty called for a boycott of Warner Brothers theaters in Philadelphia, the Catholics obeyed. And because they acted as a group, they had political power. And because they had political power, the Jews backed down and stopped promoting, using the big screen to promote obscenity. That was an effective campaign. And the fact is that we've lost that ability because we don't act in concert the way we did in the 1930s. From, uh, from uh, Vic Therese on Cozy, uh, question for Dr. Jones. Uh, can you expound on working on internal order before social order? Uh, this is this question is asked by our friend Theo Howard. Internal order. Do you mean the, the order of the soul? I think, the, that's, I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Yes, of course you've got to do that. Of course. That's obviously the first thing you have to do. You have to bring your own life into order. If you don't, uh, you, you don't know what you're doing. Because in order to do something, you have to understand. And in order to understand, you have to see straight. And if your mind is clouded by passion, um, uh, you're not going to act properly. Now, okay, let's get, let's get specific here. This is exactly what I said about Michael Voris. Okay, Michael Voris is, was a notorious homosexual. Uh, he suddenly gets religion. He, he says he repents. Okay. And then he decides he's going to become a spokesman for the Catholic church. And that's, uh, so I was working with him. Suddenly his past catches up with him. And I say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to work for you anymore. Did I, was it because I was going to contract some type of ritual impurity by associating with Michael Voris? No, that's not the point at all. The point is that Michael Voris was still uh, under the th uh, under the spell of the 
homosexual narcissism that uh, led him to the, to the homosexual lifestyle in the first place. You can't go from zero to 60 in four seconds here. And so what I said was it's the classic teaching is that you have to do penance first. You have to don't rush in uh, and uh, name yourself the spokesman for the Catholic Church, because what's probably speaking here is your homosexual narcissism, which always wants to be the center of the universe. So I said, uh, the church father, I forget this. There's a book. I've written a book called The Man Behind the Curtain. If you want the full story, it's available at culturewars.com. But the classic expression was the sin is like an arrow. And uh, you can remove the arrow, but the wound is there and the wound has to heal. And that's the problem with uh, we've forgotten the idea of what penance is. You still have that disorder. This is crucial. You have to get rid of these personal disorders uh, before you want to get involved in something, something like this. Because if you're still the slave of your personal disorders, you won't see straight. And if you won't see straight, so lust darkens the mind, that's a problem, and it divides the will. And that's a problem, too, which we found out this week, because when the, when the pressure comes, you'll fold if that's, if that's your problem. If your will is divided, you will fold. And if you fold, you lose all credibility. We need men of principle now to stand up to the bullies. And believe me, these people are bullies. And if you don't believe me, just look into how Mark Shea treated Janet Smith. Uh, all right, it's top of the hour, uh, Dr. Jones. A couple more? Yeah, two more. Two more, all right. Uh, from El Mexicano. Uh, Dr. Jones, is the plan of the Jews to install a new world order to rule over us Gentiles through their third temple and Messiah? Well, the, the plan is, yeah, there's there's a new world order. You know, Klaus Schwab has already articulated it, the Great Reset. The oligarchs want to abolish representative government. It's that simple. What is left has already been weakened largely because of Jewish influence, because IPAC controls the Congress of the United States of America. If you don't believe me, then watch the video of Congress giving 25 standing ovations to Benjamin Netanyahu. Is that because he's a great speaker? Is he the modern Demosthenes? No, it's because IPAC had its, its stooges there in the, in the Congress uh, taking names. If you didn't stand up and cheer, they would take your name and then they'd run a candidate against you. That's what's got to stop here. Okay, we have to have that. Uh, uh, we have to stop that control. We have to get back to representative government. And we begin by standing up to Jewish bullies. Okay, do not cave in if someone says that guy is an anti-Semite and you're not allowed to associate with him. You play right into the Jews' hands when you do that. And that's why uh, what Patrick did was so good, asserting a Catholic independence against these Jewish bullies. Okay, one second here. Um, Sophronius, I think is the name. Uh, Dr. Jones. Have you been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C.? And if so, what did you make of it? Uh, no, I haven't. And I don't plan to go on any time, anytime soon. If you want my take on the Holocaust Museum that I have never visited, there's a chapter in uh, the, the soon-to-be-released uh, 
Holocaust narrative of the novel by Tova Reich, which is the inside story of what happened at the Holocaust Museum in Washington. So you'll want to read that for the real story. Well, all right. There we are, guys. Thanks again. This is another episode of EMJ Live. Uh, every Friday at 5, make sure to subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine and buy the books FidelityPress.org and follow all of our socials. And then a bit of an announcement. Uh, like we mentioned, Patrick Coffin has his Hope is Fuel uh, conference going on. You can sign up to that at HopeIsFuel.com. And if you want to save 20 bucks. Uh, type in the coupon code EMJ20, no spaces, capitalized EMJ20, and uh, that'll save you some money for that conference. Uh, that's all I got on nice announcements. Do Dr. Jones, got anything? Thank you. Always a pleasure. I enjoy these uh, discussions immensely. We'll see you next week. God bless, guys.